Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. All right. Well, we are the Bleacher Blums, are we not? (laughs) (laughs) We are, and we just chatted up in the bleachers in between pitches. Uh, What's on tap is brought to you by St. Arnold Brewery. We have a new new and exciting segment that we are going to lead off this podcast with. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, We've got a couple of who's hots, who's nots, plural on that, because we've got some teams that are playing good. We've got some teams that are not playing good and maybe overall Major League Baseball hitters scuffling out of the chute. And we have a couple of theories why, but we want to give you numbers to back it up. And then I've got an Astros update uh, just because of roster cuts. The things changed a little bit. The, the landscape changed a little bit in Major League Baseball after May 1st because you went from a 28-man roster to a 26-man roster. And uh, there were some moves on that. And the starting pitching has been very good for the Houston Astros. And I just want to hit on that a little bit. But we are going to start off. We're going to do something, I think. We're gonna, we're gonna, this is a test run. And we need our fans, the Bleacher Blum fans, make sure that you're following myself at Blummer27 on both Twitter and Instagram. And my good buddy at Real David Tuttle on both Twitter and Instagram, more so on Twitter, a little more active there. And then you have to, this is a must. This is probably the most important thing. Follow at Bleacher Blums on Twitter and Instagram, because this is going to, this is what you're going to need to remember at Bleacher Blums on Instagram and Twitter. Because we are going to have a segment called Lead Off Lyrics. And we, Tuttle and I, here's, here's, I'll try and explain the rules. Tuttle will do a better job. But we are going to read lyrics from a song. We are not going to read the lyrics of the chorus. It is going to be up to the fan to do their best not to use the Google machine to figure out the lyrics to the song. Once you have figured out the lyrics to the song, you are going to go to at Bleacher Blums on Twitter or Instagram and you're going to tell us what that song is. And the first person to get the right answer will definitely be shouted out on the next podcast. And we may even do the first five to respond just to get some more interaction. But that is going to be the basis of it. If that makes sense, Tuttle, tell me yes, and we can move on or input some other way to make this make more sense. No, it's great. I think that's right. Lead off lyrics is the is the contest. We're going to do um, song and artist, obviously. I mean, if you can figure out the song, most likely you'll yes. hit the artist. Yep. Good call. Yep. But I will say to add a little hint to this because we are uh, testing it, I guess. It's in uh it's in the test phase. We're in a beta, beta, um, beta you know, testing. Yeah, there you go. Beta <laughs> testing. So we, we can, I would we, say we checked uh, in with the R and D department yes. of Bleacher Plums. There you go. So if you've listened to the podcast one through one hundred seventy one before this one comes out, you know who uh, at Real David Tuttle's kind of his leanings in terms of musical Your niche, niche, my niche. Oh, my niche, my niche. I, niche? I never know how to niche? say that. That's a niche? tough word. The category no. for sure you guys know because Blum and I are aligned in that. But I will say, like, I have a favorite band. Blum has a favorite band. Wink, wink. We're probably going to start out pretty easy, dip our toe in the water in this beta testing, and um, and that's it. So at Real David Tuttle, at Blummer27, you can get at us there. But for the contest, you want to go to at Bleacher Blums on Twitter and or Instagram. Enter your song and artist there uh, from the lyrics that you are about to hear. All right. Who, who wants to go first? Do you want to lead it off? Uh, ready? I can lead it uh, off. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm ready too, but I want you to go first. 
All right, I'm going to go first. So, so may, and make sure when you go to at Bleacher Blums, make sure you specify whose song, you know, Blummer's song or <laughs> Tuttle's song. So mine's going to be super easy. If you know, if you have watched any of my career, like Tuttle said, you know my favorite band, but this is very, very specific and very easy early on. And I, I expect, think I know. I think I know. Ooh, ooh. I would say you probably name it right now. I'm sure there's fans <laughs> no, listening in their car right now going, I know what it is, man. And they're already <laughs> tweeting at Bleacher Blums. Right, so there you go. Real subtly, we're just going to read it casually, and uh, or you can do it in your own style. I'm going to do it in my own style. It may change <laughs> week to week. So riffing. here we go. They say freak when you're singled out. Well, it filters through. So lay down. The threat is real. When his sight goes red again. Seeing red again. And that's it. Mm. Pretty easy. Almost if you know what it is, make it sure you go to like. at, I know we got really close. There's really not much to that song, to be honest with you. <laughs> so if you know that song, make sure you go to at Bleacher Blums, give me a shout out, and I will in return give you a shout out on the next podcast. Tuttle, you're up. I really liked your style there. I don't know if that was the Fred Rogers style or what, but let me try this too. <laughs> yeah. When I talk about it, carries on. Reasons only new when I talk about it. Aries or treasons all renew. Mm. Mm. We sound good reading those, man. Yeah. A little fireside right. chat. It is. That's what it yeah. feels like, man. I like it. So that is leadoff lyrics here on Bleacher Blums, and I hope that everybody enjoys it. Make sure you get to at Bleacher Blums, song and artist. We will give you a shout out. Yeah, buddy. I like it. We're going to take a quick moment right here and go to a, sp a Blue Wire podcast sponsor. All right, we're back. Thank you to the Blue Wire Podcast Network for hooking up, us up with sponsors and funding this project we lovingly know as Bleacher Blums. And we've got another section here that we're going to go through some of the baseball news. And we're, for right now, we're just calling it Who's Hot, Who's Not. And it's been a very interesting week in Major League Baseball. Uh, we're going to run through the Who's Hot because... There, there are teams that are starting to jump out to me that I was kind of curious about, and I think we both agreed, considering who bought the New York Mets and who was signed by the New York Mets, I had a, not a keen eye, but I just kind of had a keen eye peninsula. Get it? We both played in the mm, last week. I okay. like it. We did. So I had a keen eye on the, on the New York Mets and how they were playing, and they're playing extremely well. And I was kind of curious about that just because you wonder, do high payrolls play well? And Buck Showalter has actually changed the culture up there in New York. They're playing extremely well. And the one thing that stood out to me, Tuttle, is, hmm, they're not playing. I know Scherzer's an ace, but they're not playing with their 1B. Uh, Jacob deGrom, he is yet to come back. And when he does come back, if they're still this good, I believe, and I think uh, you know, Roflo, Robert Flores for the MLB Network flat out said it, when DeGrom comes back, they're going to win the World Series. I'm going to have a hard time arguing that fact if he comes back and they're playing this well. What do you think? Yeah, so a couple of things. We had a pretty good conversation about how uh, Buck Showalter was going to change the culture there. I think mm -hmm. there's an, an, an unusual... Um, People always talk about the pressure you're under, right? You're under so much pressure and under a microscope there in New York. Well, guess what? The Mets were horseshit last year. They were terrible for their payroll. And that so is not the an pressure, understatement. No. So the pressure valve released uh, was released. I mean, what can they play worse than last year? I don't think so. So new owner, new whatever. But 
you know, they're getting these clubhouse leaders in, Buck Showalter being one of them, but Scherzer came over there. DeGrom's not even playing, but I'm sure he's a, a solid leader. And, yeah, good call. And I just, yeah, I just feel like, you know, Lindor was, I mean, remember they got in a huge big deal with the fans last year about, you know, mm-hmm. just like, you know, trying to mail it in. And I think the pressure is off and they have a new culture and we know that the guys they have on their roster are very, very talented. So that com- that combination, I think, has probably made for even better clubhouse chemistry than you would have had they all just got together this year with Buck Showalter. So I, I do see the potential for this team. I will say, let's be true to what we talk about in this podcast all the time. It's early, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to be like, all right, hey, like Tuttle and Blum never get excited after that first month, but now we're on here going, oh my God, the Mets, they're going to win the World <laughs> Series. Like, I know that's not what you were saying, but I but I yeah. do, I do think there's, um, I bet it would be interesting, you know, we talk about analytics. I think there's something to the fact that the pressure is kind of released from how bad they were last year, which is making this year start off. And last night you were working, but I got to watch the highlights and I watched the end of that game. They're playing the Phillies. It's 7 nothing in the eighth inning. It was 7-1 to going into the ninth, and the Mets won the game. Like, that is, I mean, you know, it starts out. There's a little duck fart and a little <laughs> ground ball, and then there's a three-run bomb, and now it's 7-4. to I mean, that doesn't happen in the big leagues too often. I think three and 863 in that. It was like three three wins or two wins Daniel. and 863 losses when you go in down seven runs. Yeah, something like that. But they pulled it out, and I think that's a testament to them just playing through the end of the game, believing in each other, getting the momentum, all of that stuff. So they're definitely hot. To win a game when they're down 7-1 in the ninth against the uh, the Phillies, who are you know another good ball club. Division um, rival, yeah. Yeah, division rival. That's that's going to go a long way. So I, I, you know, like I said, what you said is accurate. They're definitely hot, but you know, we don't want to get the cart before the horse as well. So, yeah, no, but I like the I like your idea of the pressure valve has been released because maybe Lindor's not that spokesperson of the team. Maybe Pete Alonso's not that spokesperson of the team, and you remove Javier Baez from the situation. All of a sudden, you kind of get the team back a little bit and add Max Scherzer, who can speak for the team. Buck Showalter can speak for the team, and you just say, "Go play, boys. Just go play and have fun and do what you can do." And I think that's what's happening in New York. Very well put by Tuttle. The other teams that are doing really good are right there in the backyard of David Tuttle. The Dodgers expected. I don't. I'm not going to you know elaborate too much on them. I know Clayton Kershaw. Credits. You know, uh, congratulations to him. He is now the all-time strikeout leader for that storied franchise of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think that's a great thing for him. I think it solidifies his his legacy in LA and potentially puts him into that Hall of Fame talk, which I'm sure he will get because all of his numbers and his peripherals are that good. And then you go uh, east a little bit away from LA and into Anaheim, where the Los Angeles Angels, quote unquote, are playing extremely good too because here, you know, after the first month, they are in first place in the American League West. And a lot of it has to do with Shohei Otani because he single handedly can beat a team. And we've seen it twice where he's thrown shutout baseball and driven in a run, scored a run, and beat the other team, which is remarkable to me. And then there's a guy named Taylor Ward, I think is his name. This guy was an out in the first two weeks of the season, and all of a sudden he has become, you know, the Mike Trout before Mike Trout comes up to the plate. So they're playing extremely well out west. What have you seen, Tuttle? Yeah, well, Rendon's back in the lineup hitting the ball too. And great he point. Is, I mean, he's I mean, do you underrate that? And they guy solidify your defense? 
Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an unusual circumstance. So I'll circle back uh, to the Dodgers because, like you said, that's expected. But the Angels, I think, when you watch them play the Astros to start the season, we did not see what we're seeing now. But you do see the potential there. And I think what we've consistently said about the Angels is it's going to come down to the pitching. You know, when you have Otani, Trout, uh, Rendon, and now, you know, obviously Taylor Ward's tearing the cover off the ball. When you have four or five guys in the lineup that are working well mm-hmm. together and, and playing well, you know, offense is fine. It's really going to come down to their pitching. And I think there's two things at work here, right? The Astros pitching has been great, um, but they didn't start off the year that hot, right? You know, 500 ball, they had to play the Blue Jays as well, you know, that kind of stuff. So saying that the Angels are in first place in the American League West when you have the A's and the Mariners in there who you guys just beat up on the, the Mariners, um, you know, it's not to diminish what the Angels are doing because when the Astros do it, you're like, hey, the Astros are a fantastic team. I just think, again, it's mm-hmm. early, but the Angels definitely seem to have the right, what we just talked about with the Mets, the right chemistry and the right um, kind of flow going right now. It'll be really interesting to see if some of the young pitching um, can hold up and be consistent throughout the year. So have you kept an eye on the Angels because they're in the because they're in yeah. the American League West? Yeah. So, I mean, is it yeah. the pitching? And or what I, do you, and like you said, no, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, I've been writing every day. I write down, the, you know, the the record of the Astros, what position they're in, and their run differential. And I'm watching what the Angels are doing, and they're doing exactly what you and I said on this podcast when we kind of previewed the season out west. Is that they have the potential to score a crap ton of runs, and they are going out and doing that. And that was what, without the expectation of a guy like Taylor Ward, so he's contributing, which makes them even better. And I agree. My entire concern, even if they were healthy, is how are they going to keep the other team from scoring more? And that has a lot to do with health because Syndergaard is questionable. He's a great talent, but he is injury prone. If they can stay healthy and stay consistent in the box, they should be okay. But that is the biggest question for me is, you know, is the pitching going to withstand 162 games? Correct. And and again, we're, this is just what's hot, what's not. This reminds me of this week in baseball back with Mel Allen, right? You just yeah. kind of went through the week and, you know, you these teams have started. That's right. Get yeah, back these to teams, it later in the year. That's right. These teams have started out really hot. And, and I said I'd circle back to the Dodgers. So like you said, the Dodgers have been expected, but I didn't expect the American League, or excuse me, the National League West to be what it was last year. And it's shaping up to be identical to what God, it was last no. year. The Giants are like 15 and nine or 16 and nine. And they're in third place because you got the Padres in there doing <laughs> um, much better with Bud Black as their manager. Uh, so Bob that's Melvin. kind of it. Oh, Bob Melvin. Where did Bud Black go? Is he the pitching coach? He's in Colorado. Oh, yeah. What, why did I say Bud Black? That's weird. Because anyway, he managed when I played there. That's right. So starting, but I knew that that was the, so the management difference though, right? So it was Jace Tingler last year. Did I get that one yes. right? Okay. Yep. Thank God. Tuttle like falling asleep at the wheel. So Jace no, Tingler. No, that might be the though, bigger story is that the West is is still playing extremely good baseball. Yeah. Well, and and to your point, we talked about Buck Showalter changing the culture. We knew Bob Melvin would be a great fit down in San Diego, but gosh, I mean, you have the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants are going to like, they're going to kill each other to get to the World Series. And, uh, you know, that may benefit some other teams like it did last year. I think, Um, you know, the Dodgers had to go through. I mean, essentially, I guess, like the the old version of Murderer's Row, right? You had to get through the teams mm-hmm. with the best records, and that always can make it challenging at the end. But I, I mean, the 
obviously being Astros heavy, right? You got to watch the LA teams. You know who else is hot that we didn't talk about on our little list are the Yankees. And the Yankees are, mm-hmm. I mean, I think they've won 10 or 11 or 12 in a row, something like that. Yeah, so, they've definitely been on fire. They've been bombing yeah. away. But the, I, I, the only thing I discount on that is the competition they're playing. When I see them go through Kansas City and blow the doors off them, I'm like, way to go, guys. You know, yeah, great. fair and We do the same fair thing enough. when we call the Astros games. Like, if, if they sweep the Detroit Tigers this week, which they should, <laughs> and that's the problem, is they should. So you're kind of like, hey, that yeah. was great. All right, see what yeah. they do against the Angels or against the Yankees. Or they're going on the road trip, and they're going to face Minnesota, who's number one in the Central, which kind of surprised me, and then uh, Boston. So it'll, it's a, there's some trying times, but yeah. that just kind of all goes back to your point. Let's get excited, but let's temper the excitement because we could revisit this in a month and a half and be like, what happened to these guys? Now they're on the who's not list. And speaking of who's on the who's not list that I haven't been paying attention to and is the freaking Cincinnati Reds. Dude, there's bad. And then there's the Cincinnati Reds, dude. Three and 22 as we record this podcast. What have you seen? Yeah, so great transition. I was going to jump into the old who's not. And uh, I I think... What's interesting about that is they are very bad. I think in the off season when um, <laughs> Castellanos went somewhere else, and um, you know, yeah, well, yeah, no, I, but I'm just saying when their team kind of started, they were fire sailing like the A's, but it was a little more under the radar. And when Castellanos signed with the Phillies, I think it was kind of the sign that they were not gonna, you know, try and hold their yeah, whatever the their flag, group yeah. together. Yeah, right. Oof. But three and twenty-two. I mean, it's like. It's got to be hard to be on that team because these are big league players. But when you got no one behind you or no support, and we we touched on this in our prep, but the owner ownership group has taken a lot of heat. And I think it was the son of the original owner, which is Bob Castellini. I think his son, Phil Castellini, made a comment in the offseason when Castellanos went somewhere else. Look, I got Castellini, Castellanos, but I can't get the manager of the Padres correct. When the moon hits you. What? There you go. That's right. So, so – he said something like, yeah, we're Cincinnati. I mean, people are going to come. If you build it, they will come. There's no other place to spend their money is what he said. And then he <laughs> walked it back a little bit. But I'm telling you what, if you continue to put out, you know, three and 22, you know, let's extrapolate that out. If they're six and 44 <laughs> or 10 and 50. Who's that like, SAT question? There you go. We're doing the math again. Anyway, but if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're 40 games under 500 or 35 games under 500 is the, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna struggle um, in terms of getting fans, getting revenue, and I think that the uh, pitchforks are already out for the ownership group. So this is a combination of things: bad baseball, maybe lack of chemistry, lack of expectations, but also lack of support from the owners, and that is not a chemistry for success. So you haven't said you told me you hadn't watched the Reds a whole lot, but what do you? What are you thinking if you're in the clubhouse on a three and twenty-two ball club? Like, when do you turn this around? Does it get selfish there? Like, well, I just oh, got to get mine yeah. and get out of here. No, you're, you're, you're. Excuse me, you're playing for next year's contract, and you're also calling. Uh, you know, the local travel agencies are getting on Travelocity or Expedia to get see where the, if you can find a cheap flight to Cabo or somewhere in Mexico so you can disappear over the off season and get a couple of margaritas in you because this is not pretty and it's not fun. I played on, I've played on bad teams, but I haven't played on three and 22 teams to start out a season. This is ridiculous. Uh, it, but I do think it is a direct reflection of ownership and their, their idea of putting a team together. Even the Astros in 13, 14, were bad teams, 
but they were they found a way to scramble and and gather 50 wins. You know, I I wonder if the Reds are going to be able to scramble and find 50 wins. That's an amazing yeah. thing to think about. They have a chance to be the worst team ever in the in the game of baseball. And there's there's certain, you know, uh there's certain teams Benchmarks. that are built on infamy. <laughs> And you don't want to be infamous. You want to be famous. And this team is building itself to be infamous for their lack of ability to win games. And it's just astonishing to me. And the one number I looked up, having not watched their games, I looked up how many runs they scored and how many runs have been scored against them. And this is mind-blowing. They have scored 79 runs on the season in 25 games. They have given up 166. So if you double the number of 79... They still haven't outscored their opponent. No. That's <laughs> I mean, not good. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, that's not good. And you know, I, I think what you said, yeah, they're these like what is it, the O and sixteen Detroit Lions. You don't want to be those teams that have the Yeah, the Baltimore the Orioles record. back in the day where they were like over twenty one or something crazy. That's right. But I do think what you said is interesting because it's one thing to be the Astros back in 13 and 14 and have a young team. So I haven't done enough research to know how young the Reds yes. are, if they're there's filtered hope. with veterans. There's hope. If there's hope and they they kind of are taking the A's approach to use their prospects and come up and you know teach them, the, show them the ropes and all that stuff, then that's fine. But if you've sprinkled in enough vets and it gets a little salty in the clubhouse and there's some <laughs> animosity and guys, if too many guys start playing for their next contract... Um, you know, it's going to be a challenge. And uh, again, we've said this in totality. We're just, we're a month into the season. We're about a, what is it? A fifth or a sixth of the way in. Like, pump the brakes. According but, to TK, we're a sixth after tonight. Uh, a sixth after tonight. My math, does does my math work out? 27 games? Anyway. Anyway, yes. <laughs> so it'll be really interesting to see how this all shapes up. And um, you mentioned earlier too, like not only is or not only are specific teams not hot, but the runs per game are down and baseball. And, you know, we talked about kind of leading into something um, with how the game changes year to year, right? Steroids years, balls, things like that. What, mm -hmm. what have you seen in terms of, I mean, is the pitching that dominant? Is this the shortened spring training that causes this? Mm -hmm. But it seems to be more pitcher success or um, defense success. Uh, in the first, what, sixth of the season, according to TK. What what have you seen like night to night in the booth, and what do you expect to see over the course of the season? I think it was actually a – there was an example in uh, last night's game against the Astros, the first game against the Astros – or for the Astros against the Detroit Tigers. And I do not want to diminish what pitchers are doing. Pitchers have found a way to be successful, whether it's max effort with velo, max effort with spin – uh, they are exploiting hitters getting off to a slow start. And there are certain numbers that are kind of showing me what possibly might be going on. But again, I just want to reiterate, I do not want to discount what pitchers are doing because I think they're doing a phenomenal job of going out there and, and pitching their asses off and, and taking advantage of, of guys not hitting home runs. I think the home run number is way down. Uh, I looked into it and the Yankees led the league with home 29 home runs in the month of April. They're on pace for 174 home runs if we play the SAT game and go six months into the season. Now let's go back to last year as a, as a comparison, a full season for the Toronto Blue Jays. They averaged 43 home runs a month. 
They finished the season with 262 home runs. Could you imagine going from 262 home runs to 174? And now I'm going to take it a little bit further. I didn't look to last year's numbers, but to start this season through a month and a couple days or maybe 25, 26 games for teams, the runs per game average for Major League Baseball is four. So that takes every team high, low. The median is four. There is not one team averaging over five runs a game. And I think if you go back to 2019, 2020, there were at least five or six teams averaging five or more runs per game. So what could be the common denominator? For me, it's the baseball. Because watching that first game of the series against the Detroit Tigers and the Houston Astros, Jordan Alvarez hit one about 107 miles an hour, had a 27-degree launch angle, which is almost ideal, which I know Tuttle loves to hear, and he pimped it to no end and got a single out of it because it didn't leave the ballpark. And that right there, I went, oh, damn, there's something going on, man. There is something going on with that baseball. And truth be told, I have talked to Mariners, Tigers, who else have the Astros played? Angels. I've talked to several different teams and I've talked to Astros and to a man, they say that the feeling off the bat is not what it used to be. And that is highly concerning for me and the game of baseball, because if the ball's not flying and there isn't a competitive balance for the hitters, this game isn't fun to watch, man. Oh, spoken like a true hitter. And you did yes. compliment the pitchers. That was very nice of you. You know, having a co-host as a former pitcher, you were very nice to us. I, but, knew, uh, I saw you sit back in your chair and I'm like, man, oh, Tuttle's nice. gathering. So they get the storm is gathering. No, no. You know what's interesting is I'm catching bits and pieces. You watch it uh, game in, game out. And I got a sense last night listening to the game when um, Pena hit that ball. You know, you talked about launch Ooh. angle and everything. And you're like, he sprinted. He started to you know, he started to get out of the box and yeah, I was run, watching him, and, not the ball. Right. And you and TK were both pointing that out. And then it left the yard. And so again, you know, we've talked to Dr. Meredith Wills on this podcast before, and we're hoping to bring her back soon. I will say maybe there's some inconsistency as well, because Jordan hit that ball, like you said, ideal launch angle, whatever. And then you know, like Jeremy Pena idea. hits the same ball and it goes out into the, you know, home run porch out there. And it was kind of like he was sprinting out of the box. I will say the one person that you guys did not talk about in that highlighter that uh that um the replay was the catcher. Mm -hmm. And if you go back oh, and watch his the head catcher, drop? oh, that's what I'm saying. So somebody, somebody in the somebody ballpark knew. knew that that damn baseball was gone because you. I was watching Pena, but then I watched a catcher and he was. <laughs> it was just full instant. deflation, man. Right. So he knew, he knew that that ball was crushed. So anyway, so, I, but I do, I mean, this is a valid discussion. It, it is. And when you start, this is where, you know, the marriage between analytics and, and what your eyeballs tell you. I mean, nobody averaging more than five runs a game when, you know, most of the league was doing that before, um, you know, it, it's being manipulated in some way, shape, or form. We don't know if it's a conspiracy theory or somebody wants to manipulate everything, but uh, 
but something's going on, obviously, because you guys watch it night in and night out. But the inconsistency is what always frustrates me. We talked about this with the strike zones, with seams on the so baseball, true. where they're made. Like if Jordan can pimp a ball that's a single and Jeremy Pena can sprint out of the box looking for a triple and it you know hits in the upper deck, it's like, wait a second. Like These guys have been doing this for a long time. It's kind of like squaring up a drive. We talked about golf earlier. It's yes, like, you're right. You know when you you know when you flush one, you know. Anyway, so yeah. it'll be really interesting to have um, Dr. Wills back on, and also just to you know continue to watch that and watch it closely to see if it changes throughout the year or if it's going to mm-hmm. be a pitcher's year. And I think you bring up the biggest point, which is how are we going to get more fans to watch this game that we love and talk about all the time. And it's typically not two to one ball games, especially when guys are crushing balls that are you know that are hitting the warning track. It's different if the pitching is really end of the bat and broken bat, and you know we all know what pitchers' duels look like. But if you're diminishing the offense by manipulating the baseball, I think you know we got we got some big problems in the game. Yeah, we do. And there's a, there was a problem brewing down in Miami. Uh, for a guy named Madison Bumgarner. And I want to talk about this a little bit because it was probably one of the hotter stories in all of baseball is that Madison Bumgarner pitching down in Miami in his first inning, I believe gave off gave up a leadoff home run, had a couple of close pitches, not called strikes, gets out of the inning for the Arizona Diamondbacks and is walking over to his dugout. And first base umpire uh, Dan Bellino goes to reach for the check of the hands, but proceeds... This is where things got super weird, creepy, cringy, awkward, all (laughs) the woke words we could use. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say because you've pitched, but you've... I mean, and you probably have an opinion about being checked, but man... He, he grabs Madison Bumgarner's hand. I don't know if he was entranced or falling in love with the guy. He was eyeballing. He was looking for eye contact as he was massaging his hand. He didn't get it until the end. And at the end, Madison Bumgarner didn't appreciate the hand massage or the eye contact and proceeded to say, effing take your time or what the F was that. Obviously, it was personal. It was direct. It was uh, cursing. It was everything that you can't do. But... I think it was warranted by Madison Bumgarner. I don't know how you feel, but man, it, it, umpires should, there needs to be some consequence for an umpire who instigates an issue like this. But that was one of the worst situations I've seen in a very long time. It was ugly, awkward, cringy. Like I yeah. said, everything it was just freaking weird, man. Yeah. Yep. I totally agree. It's funny. If you had, if I had not seen the video and you hadn't, preface this as a matter of fact i remember formulating my opinion when i heard mad mad bum got thrown out like during the 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 check or whatever during the you know the the sticky substance check i could tell you how that conversation went like hey you know what are we doing over here why are you you know like I, i could tell you but then watching it you're like oh gosh like the body language everything was creepy so at worst he was asking him out on a date like you know like like creeping him out at best, <laughs> he was trying to your point. He didn't like that he, you know, the home plate umpire, you know, he didn't like that he was eyeballing the home plate umpire. He, sh- he showed him up. And yeah. right. So he was trying to kind of retaliate for his partner, something like that. But did you ever so this is gonna date me, but one of my favorite movies of all time with uh Richard Gere is Officer and a Gentleman. Have you seen that movie? Do you remember oh, that? Damn. I, I yeah. saw it so, when I was like all right. Ten. So it's very much like Full Metal Jacket, the first part, meaning Lou Gossett Jr. won the Academy Award for the uh, you know, for being the Marine sergeant that's like, but his line in that movie was, Are you eyeballing me, boy? 
Are you eyeballing me? <laughs> that's what he said the whole movie. You eyeballing me, boy? That's a hundred push. That's a hundred push ups. That's so what. Good. That's what Mad Bum should have said. Like, like, look at like, you eyeballing me. Like, that's what he said. You, what are you doing? Like, it was like he was at the nail salon getting a manicure. And it was like he had his hand down. He's looking at him and rubbing. I mean, as somebody said, this is not an original line, right? I've gone to palm readings that took less time. <laughs> like it was, it. He was. He was asking. He was asking Mad, Madison Bumgarner, "Do you want yes. me to throw you out?" With all his body language, and Madison Bumgarner, who's six foot five, two hundred forty pounds from Texas, was like, "Oh." You want to throw me out? Okay, I will fulfill your wish because I am not going to allow you to stroke my hand and eyeball me. I mean, Lou Gossett Jr. Jr. would have made you do 150 push up push ups if you're eyeballing him. Dude, I love that. That that was a good call on uh, Lou Gossett Jr. in the comment. I mean, that's exactly what he should have come back with because there is no reason. I understand that you're trying to protect your own as far as the umpires are concerned, but guess what? It's a part of baseball, and if the pitcher's upset, let him be upset. Yeah. He's going to go back to the dugout, bitch and moan, and then he's going to come back on the mound, and guess what he's going to try and do? Throw a better pitch. Get a yep. strike. He's not going to sit there and bitch and moan the whole game. Yep. And how, how about this? Maybe Maybe your buddy behind the plate sucked that first inning. Maybe he right. didn't have a good zone. That's right. So, I mean, you're defending somebody you're not even sure if he had a good zone or not. So, it, you know, I, right. the loyalty's there, but at the same time, how about the fact, and this is the part that pisses me off, and I think this is the part that Major League umpires do not pay attention to, is it's not about you. You're an official. The more you fall into the background, the better the game is. You're not making the game better by pulling Madison Bumgarner out or protecting Ryan Wills behind Willis behind home plate. You're making an ass out of yourself. Yeah. You're exposing your your true intentions, like Tuttle just said. And Bumgarner's having one of the best starts of his year career yeah. with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's got a like a 1.17 going into that game, so he is pitching extremely well. He already has a reputation of being a you know not. I don't want to say jerk, but I mean, he's, he's intense on the mound because I don't want to, I think it's part of his game that makes him effective. Don't you think? Yeah. Or ornery was the word that came to mind. So. Yeah. But I mean, that's part of his game and that's what makes him effective. But now you're taking one of the best pitchers in the game to start this season out of the game and not to mention what you're doing to Tori Lovello's bullpen. All of a sudden it turns into a bullpen game where there might've been six or seven guys in that bullpen going, Psh! Mad bum's going today. I'm going to take, I'm chilling out, bro. I went and had a couple pops last night. I'm going to sit here in the bullpen and enjoy the show until the eighth inning. Cause this yeah. guy's going at least six or seven a day. And now all of a sudden it's like, yeah. you got the you know panic going on and you got to yeah. fill eight, eight innings of baseball. It was ridiculous. This shows a couple of things. Yes. He's ornery. And I'm going to get back to that, but it also shows at the end of the, uh, at the end, they obviously had their little press conference. He's got to go to at the end of the game. And all he talked about was his team. He goes, my team picked me up today. I couldn't be more proud of them. You know, they won eight to seven. And, um, and I think that shows the respect that he has in the clubhouse and what he's earned. But I agree yeah. with you. I mean, this isn't about the umpires. We've said that before. I do think because last game we talked about the, um, Anyway, we talked about uh, Angel Hernandez last podcast um, mm -hmm. and his his despicable game. That yeah, Dan Bellino said, "Hold my beer." Yeah, that's right. So we should, but we should try and get you know an umpire on because I'm watching a lot of the NBA playoffs and you know there's some rough fouls or some things going on and you watch during the out of bounds plays where the guys explaining the referees explaining to the player and the players like, "Oh yeah, I get it." Like 
baseball has the same thing. Most of these umpires are well respected. You're on first base, you can talk to them. You know, catchers talk to them all game long. I mean, there's a deep relationship here. And it's funny because this is always the bad one bad apple spoils the bunch. Most of these guys do stay out of the uh, limelight and they do their job well. And everybody has a bad day. But now here's a question for you. I mentioned ornery. Would you rather, I mean, Roger Clemens was ornery when he pitched and, you know, so was everybody else. I mean, Kevin I'm Brown, a nice guy. Randy Johnson. I mean, yeah, there geez, you go. I'm a, a nice guy. Maybe that's what kept me out of the big leagues. Like, too nice of a guy, right? Like, would you rather face an ornery pitcher or would you rather face a guy that you played with in college that you know is out there and he's, you know, firing stuff up there, even if they have equivalent stuff? Like, you're just much more comfortable facing your college roommate, yes. even if he's throwing 95, because you know the guy. You had beers with him. You ate dinner with him. Like, you know his family. It's like the intensity is just not there. So for an umpire to, like you said, to take a judgment like, oh, he's fired up. Like a lot of times when I was upset on the mound, I was upset on myself. You know, I would miss a pitch outside. The umpire wouldn't get it. And it was like, oh, I was so close. Like, and I was pissed at myself. And how do you mm -hmm. express frustration with yourself? Like, do I have to have a sign out there saying, you know, I gave up a home run to the leadoff hitter. Hey, I'm not mad at you, umpire. I'm mad at myself. Like, no, it's just, just let us be. Just let us all be. Mm -hmm. And you've had that as a hitter, I'm sure, when you look at the umpires. That's as far out as it goes. And the next one he calls. There's a frustration there maybe with him, but a lot of times you're frustrated with yourself for guessing the wrong pitch or, oh, completely. you know. completely. Right. So, so completely. Just, so just, no, I, so just let to, it go. I agree. And to, you know, your question, yes. I would, if, if, if there was somebody who had Kevin Brown type stuff that wasn't as pissed off as that guy, I probably would have had a much better numbers against Kevin Brown because yeah. I could not stand that guy. And his his intensity escalated, mine escalated, and it made him nastier. And I just yeah. I couldn't figure that dude out. And it, then it started to really just piss me off internally. But yeah. you know, I, I've had a situation where I, I you know you get to a point in a count or against a hitter or against a pitcher, and you're like, okay, this guy is definitely throwing me a breaking ball. And you and he throws it. You take it for a strike on an edge. He just makes this bastard pitcher's pitch, and you're like, "Son of!" And I, I've done. I, I put my head down. I went, "Damn it!" You know, like <laughs> I should have swung at it because I guess right. And the umpire goes, "You got a problem with my zone?" And I'm like, <laughs> "No, I got a problem with me not swinging at a pitch I was looking for." Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, okay." And all of a sudden, yeah. everything's diffused. But it's like, right. dude, just. Let it be. I didn't say yeah. anything about your strike zone. The, yeah. But the fact that you're assuming I'm saying something about your strike zone may give you a hint on how your strike zone actually is. But, <laughs> you know, I had to clarify. I'm like, no, this has nothing to do with you, man. I can be right. mad at myself and show emotion and not have it directed at the umpire. It's crazy. Bingo. That's a, I, I don't know where I'm getting all these old references, so hopefully. But remember Martin Short on Saturday Night Live? I'm not the one being defensive. You're the one being defensive. Why, why don't you read the document? I read the document. Like, yeah, the umpire's like... You know, I was mad at myself, but if What's you're in your that coffee, in man. Yeah, if you're oh yeah, me. If you you're the that nitrous this morning. If this is actually nitrous coffee from the yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. You you there got you the go. leaded coffee. I did. But 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 my point is hopefully well taken, which is what are you, why is the umpire being defensive? Like you said, you're mad at yourself. What does it say about him and what does it say about his yeah. job? If he's like jumpy back there, right? Maybe he had nitrous in his exactly. coffee. Like, what do you mean? Hey, that what I but that pitch was yeah, it was fine. I'm mad at myself. I wanted a curveball first pitch and he hung it and I let it go and it's a strike and I'm an idiot, right? Like, I mean, yeah, exactly. move on. 
So move anyway, on. probably time to move on from this subject, but it might be good yeah. to, you know, find an umpire to, you know, level the level level set us in here and what they think yeah, the let's right Let's get Joe West on be. here and really talk some baseball. Maybe somebody else. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're going to move on. I'm going to give you a little bit of an Astro update. This is going to be brief, but I talked about it earlier how the Major League Baseball came to the conclusion that uh, their rules were going to change a little bit after May 1st. They were going to condense the rosters back down to 26 like they were last season from 28. And the Astros did that. And also Major League Baseball made an accommodation allowing allowing teams to carry 14 pitchers and 12 uh, position players to go ahead and give an extra arm in that bullpen. Teams can take advantage of that or they cannot take advantage of it. And Truth be told, the Astros did not take advantage of it. They kept a four-man bench. They kept uh, uh, Nico Goodrum, Jason Castro, uh, Siri, and Aledmus Diaz on their bench, which is understandable. You've got two utility guys and a backup outfielder and a backup catcher. But the thing that's interesting to me is that they have a six-man rotation and they went to a seven-man bullpen. And Ryan Presley, their closer, just came off the injured list last night, which pushed (laughs) left-hander... Parker Mashinsky, we'll get into that. Parker Mashinsky <laughs> into AAA, but that's just a limited bullpen. I think it puts a lot of pressure on the starting pitcher pitching, but fortunately for the Astros, the starting pitching has been very good since my birthday, April 26th. I want to say that they've, you know, they've got a two, just just over a two ERA. And I think in this homestand, they've got a 0.5 ERA, which is insane to think about in about four or five games. But uh, Presley came back last night, gave up a big home run to tie up that ball game, and uh, I, I don't know if you were watching, listening, seeing. What do you? How do you feel, or what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to get too deep in it. I mean, welcome back to the big leagues. Yeah, off the DL. Know, okay, right? yeah, come in and do your stuff. Bam, you know, it's a <sighs> well pitched game. Two nothing. You know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, it does. I will say this about closers, <laughs> closers in general. But what Ryan Presley, um, and you know, I only know him through osmosis through you guys in terms of following the Astros closely. Dude, the guy throws strikes. I mean, I looked at his line. It was two hits, two runs, and two strikeouts, or you know, one strikeout. But it's like mm-hmm. if you give up two runs doing it that way. I don't think anybody has a problem. You know, if you come in and you walk two guys and then give up a home run no, and lose the game, it's like, oh. Point. So at least he was around the plate. And, you know, it, it sometimes it takes your – that shows how much faith Dusty Baker, who's won, whatever, 2,000 games as a big league manager. Is it 2,000 or 3,000? I missed the uh, – 2,000, 2001 now. Yeah, yeah space so, odyssey. Right, there you go. But I'm saying yeah, that shows how much faith he has to be like, all right, you're feeling good. We're going to put you in in a 2 nothing game in the big leagues, and bam, here we go. So – I'm sure he'll be fine, but to your point, I, I like that he threw strikes. But you know, I'm. I think you guys all breathe a sigh of relief when uh, <laughs> when Tucker drove home the winning run because that yeah. was a that looked like it was Astros in the bag the whole game, and we know how tenuous it got. Yeah, it always is. I mean, and closing is a tough gig. I was talking about it during the broadcast because I'm a, I am a Ryan Presley fan since he's come over to the Astros from the Minnesota Twins. He, he's got freakishly good. Uh, spin rates for his curveball and his slider. It's wipeout type stuff. I know that if you ask Ryan, he probably wants a couple more miles an hour on velocity, but I think that will be gained back once he gets his strength back under whatever. But yeah, I, I talked about the heart rate. I can't imagine going from, 
you know, the last time he pitched was April 13th, and all of a sudden, here you are back in the game. And like you said, Dusty didn't even, like, massage him back in. <laughs> he said, here's a yeah. two-run lead. Go get him, kid. You're going to close it out. And I can only imagine, like, the heart rate effect maybe having a little bit of an impact on what happened last night. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you were going to talk, I guess you talked about who got sent down. Some of the other teams, um, we talked about how hot the Mets were, and somebody who got let go during the the roster shuffle was Robinson yeah. Cano. And I was Big thinking at, at this age, though, I would I would just die to be released with like whatever twenty two million 40, owed to me or forty forty million well, right but twenty a year is what I was getting at right yeah. they won't pay it all this year so it's like yeah you're gonna release me and you're gonna pay me twenty this year and twenty next year okay I'm just gonna go do a podcast with my buddy Blummer see ya but <laughs> I'm also I'm also fifty but I thought it was really. As a fan now, it was really interesting to talk about like what he meant to their clubhouse. He was obviously a really good player at one time. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, father time catches up to all of us. And I just wish father time caught up to me with 40 million coming to me. I'm sure you do as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. You and me both. Yeah. I mean, I, I got released with two months left on my contract. And I think I got maybe a couple hundred grand compared to $40 million. 40 I could definitely be like... Can you imagine sitting in that meeting? Like, you know, I sat in with Gibby when I got released, which is a pretty funny story. I, we don't have time for it, but I basically, he's he's kind of trying to spit it out like we're letting you go. And I said, Gibby, I know I'm done. Let me get, just say it, you know, yeah. make it official. Where do I sign? You know, get me out of here. I'm beat to hell. And uh, can you imagine Robinson Cano sitting across from uh, Buck Showalter going, uh, you know, you played hard. We appreciate it. Robinson Cano's just going. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, he's going like this. <laughs> Yeah, he's going, oh, you're going to let me go for $14 million. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, oh, he, didn't even, he didn't even have to say anything. He just sat there like this the whole time. <laughs> million dollars. Yeah, just with his pinky yeah. to his chin going, I'm out of here. Yeah. And, you know, we joke about these, the Bobby Bonilla day and all that. But the bottom line is, I mean, obviously you'd rather be playing. But, gosh, that's a nice, you know, corporate golden parachute coming to you. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if somebody else picks him up. or Yeah, I mean – do you think he's done from what you heard? Like, no. I mean, yeah, I think I think I think he I think he signs with somebody for seven hundred grand. I think he's still got a bat. I don't know if he ends up yeah. playing second base, but with thirty DH opportunities out there, I think he he finds a spot that's, and gets a couple of swings that's left. That's what I was thinking as well. So, yeah. hey, that's all I got for the podcast. Um, you know, you put a nice outline together. That was money. And um, as we mentioned before, hopefully you guys can get into the leadoff lyrics here. We're gonna. Test it out, beta testing, but you can get us at Real David Tuttle at Blummer27. But more importantly, at least for this episode, make sure you get at Bleacher Blums and let us know if you can pick out the lyrics and the artists of those magically complicated songs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, true test is out there, but hopefully everybody steps up. We appreciate everybody listening. And most of all, at the end of every podcast, we appreciate the military, both veterans and, and currently serving uh, military personnel out there, both home and abroad. We greatly appreciate you and everything you've done for this country and continue to do. All the first responders, everybody that puts themselves in harm's way that goes out there on a daily basis and makes sure that we continue to be safe at our at our homes and, and rush in to uh, save us in certain situations. Also, the essential workers, all of the uh, frontline workers with, uh, you know, the medical personnel, EMTs and nurses that are out there. And of course, teachers who are doing a great job fighting through some of these pandemic issues and trying to raise our students the right way. We appreciate all of you. And Tuttle, I know that you've got one last thing to say. I do. Uh, if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. 
And as a Bleacher Bums listener, you know we encourage you to get after it and believe it. Believe it. And if I could have just done the podcast like this, it might have been better. Oh, he should have done. He, it would have been way better. It sounds awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah.